Uh, two weeks ago, we asked a question, do you have a passion to communicate? That would take a while, I think, of, of self-introspection uh, to kind of tease that out a bit, but do you have that, a passion to communicate, to commune? Uh, to commune with God, to commune with people. Fact is, in a broken world, a lot of people don't. A lot of Christians don't. Which makes it so much more essential to our mission that those of you who profess to know Jesus in a personal and saving way humble yourselves and heal from your relational dysfunctions and wounds so that God can birth in you or rebirth in you a passion to communicate like Jesus. Jesus had a passion to communicate. Amen. To know and to be known. And I am so glad that he did. Are you glad he did? Amen. As we introduce this series about teaching, which is really what it's about, not formal teaching, but more along the influence that we're called to have as believers with one another, as we introduced this series a few weeks ago, uh, the first principle we dealt with last week, which Howard Hendricks named the law of the teacher, and the law of the teacher states that the effective teacher always teaches from the overflow. Say overflow. The overflow of a full life. Say full life. And I took that principle, those are Howard Hendricks' words, and what I'd like to do is boil each of these principles down to one word, and the word that I chose was fullness. So the law of the teacher is fullness. You teach out of the overflow. If you're running on empty or approaching empty, you have nothing to teach, nothing to say. You can't teach what you don't know, and you can't teach what you haven't experienced. And if you haven't experienced Jesus, and you don't experience him on a daily basis, and you don't live in that daily experience of his presence and fullness, if you don't abide in him, as Jesus said in John 15, then you can't teach. You can't teach. And that message was entitled fullness, so we asked the question, full of what? And we teased that out into two very simple things. By the way, this series of messages isn't meant to be profound. This, this isn't expository, theological, uh, just depth that's just going to blow you away or get you lost. That's not my hope. My hope is not, is not really for just depth of, of intellect or intellectual discovery as it is this. This is what I'm after, dynamic. I'm after dynamic. Dunamis is the Greek word, and that means power, and it's used a whole mess of times in the Scripture, the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're looking for dynamic, and we teased out the question, full of what, into two simple things, full of the Holy Spirit, number one, and full a life full of growth, growth. If there is no transformation and change that God is doing in you and I, then we will have little of God's power to affect any sort 
of, of transformation and change in other people through you. You won't teach. Now, if you missed the last couple messages and that question about a passion to communicate intrigues you, uh, you can go to our website or our Facebook page, or you can search for us on YouTube to sort of catch up. A passion to communicate is the series. Today, we're going to share in our second principle. It's called the law of education. The first one was the law of the teacher, fullness. Today, the law of education. And this word that, that I kind of created, I'm not even sure if it's a word, is otherness. Otherness. And I think it's hyphenated. Otherness. Folks, if you're going about your life filled with the Holy Spirit, fullness, and you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. This principle today will supernaturally be in your path. It'll be in your path. And the principle stated, and I'm quoting Howard Hendricks here, is this, that the law of education says an effective teacher knows the people he wishes to teach. Will you say that with me? Read the whole phrase. You ready? An effective teacher knows the people he wishes to teach. There is an other's centeredness around an effective teacher. The teacher knows it's not about him or her. The teacher knows it's not about how good he or she is at teaching. Folks, if you have opportunity, for example, to share in the gospel with someone, yes, it's true that you need to know the gospel for yourself. That's the content of your conversation and of your words. But you also must know the person that you're sharing with. Now, that's not to say you can't share the gospel with a stranger. You certainly can and should if the Lord gives you that opportunity. But discipleship, deep sort of discipleship has in it the quality, certainly, of knowing and being known. Because, you see, God is so much more than just about the right content, the right principles, saying it right. He is about the other. The Trinity in eternity past was about other. And that was before anything else was. Why do I say that? Listen to, listen to the word. Listen for the word giving in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, 22. He's praying to God the Father. He says, I have, fill in the blank, I have given them the glory that you what? You gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Listen, before the creation of the world, God gave glory to other within himself. God's glory is his giving, at least to a large part. God's glory is his giving. God is self-giving. He is not self-centered. We talk about this a lot in this church so that even if we say that we live for the glory of God and we say that God made us 
for his glory. That is not God being egocentric and self-centered because the glory of God is his self-giving. He gives himself away. So for you and I to live for God's glory means that we, like God, live for other. We live giving ourselves to God, and then we give ourselves to and for other people. That is, to a large extent, the glory of God when we give ourselves away like that, like God does. To give to God, then to people. To love God, to love people is the way to love life. So knowing God in Scripture makes total sense that the law of education would be that an effective teacher knows the people he wishes to teach. It's about the other and their need. It's not about the teacher and his or her greatness. You know, years ago, I had someone approach me after a church service, and they were all geeked, excited, and somewhat relieved that they had just a few moments ago in that very service took a step of faith to share the gospel with an unbeliever who was present in that service that same day. And I remember it well. I was a, I was a mixture of gladness and sadness when this, this person told me of their bold venture. I was glad because it was a step of faith and that is never easy. But I was sad at the same time because the whole brief conversation that I had with this person, it didn't say anything about the person they were talking to. It was about what this person had done. They had done it. There seemed to be little concern, knowledge, or even an awareness of how the other person perceived or received the message. It was sort of like, yeah, I just gave a cold drink of water in Jesus' name. I opened their mouth and I poured it right down there and then I shoved the glass in too just for good measure. <laughs> and I wanted to ask, but were they thirsty? I don't know. See, the emphasis is never on the teacher's actions. It's about the other's need. I had an English teacher when I was in, in high school that she had a long career and she taught all six of us Kissling kids. All six of us. And our family was, uh, there were five girls and one boy and they were like the older three girls and then the younger three. I was number four, so I was the oldest of the second three, okay? And she had taught all of my older three sisters and she loved them to pieces. And she had a special seat in her classroom that she called the Kissling seat. And of course, it was front and center of her classroom. And rumor had it that in the four-year gap between me and my next older sister, Kay, that this teacher was looking forward to having the fourth Kissling. And the only male Kissling boy. The Kissling seat was ready and waiting. Now, what do you think was my attitude about all this as a 15-year-old boy? It was not, yippee, I get to sit in the kissling seat. 
that was not it, I assure you. So on the first day, I remember it well, I walked into that classroom and I made my way straight to the back of the room and took a seat against the back wall. And sure enough, the first thing she did was assign seats. And when my name was called, I rolled my eyes and reluctantly slumped into my desk front and center at Kissling Seat. And I was determined that this fourth Kissling student would end her positive anticipation (laughs) of other Kisslings coming into her class. You see, I had a reputation to uphold. Thankfully, thankfully her otherness as a teacher wore through my shallow narcissism. Listen to me. Your otherness as a teacher can wear through the shallow narcissism of your student. This woman could teach. She could teach. She wasn't that great a lecturer. Oh, she could speak. It was very prim and proper. It was just boring. That's what I thought. Okay. Thank you for not amening. But she could teach, and she could teach especially writing. And do you know how she taught writing? First, she assigned a lot of it. Okay. And she graded it very carefully and very hard. But in addition, she didn't just assign writing. She gave us opportunities to write, to put into practice the things we were learning in class. And she encouraged us to write when it meant something beyond just a grade. She encouraged her students to enter writing contests for prizes and scholarships. And that was something that I was not interested in at all. That was like extra writing, extra work to me. You know, just give me my classroom assignment. I'll pull off an A minus. I'll suffer through that. And then uh, just give me a basketball and leave me alone. You know, that was my attitude. Write something for a contest? (laughs) But some of my classmates acquiesced. They gave in to her encouragement, and one of my best friends who didn't write as well as I, I didn't think at least, (laughs) submitted. He submitted to one of of my teacher's writing contest, and my teacher helped him all along the way. He wrote, she corrected it. He rewrote, she corrected it. He rewrote, she fixed it. He rewrote it, and he won the contest. It was a national contest. And the prize was a year, a full year of college classes, all expenses paid at sea on a cruise ship. Cruise around the world. The classes were offered on a cruise around the world, and when they studied Egyptian culture, for example, and the pyramids, they were in Egypt visiting the pyramids. I foolishly resisted her efforts to make me a better writer. And the irony of the story is that now that is largely what I do. (laughs) I write. 
But you see, the, the point is the effective teacher sees the learner as primarily an investigator, okay, a discoverer, a, a doer. And so she helped us to do. Do you know who else sees the learner as an investigator, a discoverer, and a doer? Jesus. That's how he sees you. He wants to be investigated, to be discovered, and for you to be a doer of life with him. Let's just take a look at Jesus here in just a few sections of the gospel. This is the one I want to focus on. It's John chapter 1, uh, verse 35 to 39. We're going to look at Jesus' otherness here, okay? The law of education. John 1, 35, it says, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The next day, John, who was John the Baptist, he is not the author of the gospel of John in this case, The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples, John's disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, which is just packed full of significance and history and and Old Covenant awareness. Verse 37 When the two disciples, John's disciples, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, this is just a great question, what do you want? (laughs) That is a great question, by the way. I mean, you think about that question. What is it you desire? What is it you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Stop right there, okay? Now, you can do a couple things with that question. Where are you staying? The answer, you can give them a geographical answer. You can give them the address. This is where I'm staying, you know, 418 South Maple Avenue, you know, that kind of thing. You can give them an address, or you can take them there. Which do you think Jesus did as an otherness teacher? Verse 39, come and you will see. Come and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. Come, come near, and you will see. That's an otherness teacher right there. Now, we could go a lot of places to see more of the otherness of Jesus. And let me state that principle again. The law of education, an effective teacher knows the people he wishes to teach. We see that. This is what drew me when I was in my early 20s to to Jesus. This started to come off the pages of Scripture when I wrote, or when I... When I, when I read, and we see it all the time. For example, his first miracle in John chapter 2, turning water to wine at the wedding feast in Cana. You know, if he could do that miracle, you know, he, he could have just created the wine out of nothing, 
right? He's got all these great big full washing jars in the room there. He could have just said, ba-bam, and they're full of wine. But he didn't do that. Why did he have the servants first fill those stone jars with water? I think it's because the teacher was inviting the students to come near and you will see. He was involving them in the investigation, in the doing. Come near and you will see. He was inviting the learner to be a part, to discover him, to learn from him up close in that miracle, that's otherness. And you read on in John, why did he ask the Samaritan woman in John 4 for a drink of water? I mean, if you can make wine out of water, you can certainly provide your own water, right, miraculously. Why did he involve her otherness, otherness? The teacher invites the student to to come near and you will see. And why did Jesus in John 6 ask the crowd in the wilderness, he asked his disciples, it says when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, hey, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Why, why, why did he do that? Well, you read the next verse in chapter 6 and verse 6, it says he asked this only to test him. He's working on Philip here. For he already, Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Now he's got to get Philip involved. Get Philip thinking. And so he involves his followers. He has them, he has them find all the food they can, a little boy's lunch. He has the disciples seat the crowd. And then Jesus provides all the miraculous power, and then he has the disciples pass out the miraculous food, and then he has them gather the excess. Why? Otherness. An effective teacher knows the people he wishes to teach. He always invites us to come near, and then you'll see. You know what's sad about this? I don't have to look at any of you. I can look right here. What's sad about this is because the church... The church, which is called by Jesus to assault the very gates of hell, the church that Jesus said in doing so, in assaulting those gates, those gates would not be able to stand against his called out ones. Many of us in our sin nature and in our shame and our woundedness and our relational habitual dysfunctions, for many of us as teachers, we don't operate by a come near and you will see dynamic. Many of us do just the opposite. It's stay back or you will see. Stay back or you will see and I don't want you to see. I don't want you to see. Folks, Jesus was not afraid. He was humble. He was confident. He was gracious. He was straightforward. He was not afraid of anyone. He was fearless. He did not protect himself or even try to. He lived out the law of education. The effective teacher knows the people he wishes to teach otherness. You know, in, in our um, 
selfish narcissism, our relational dysfunction, our tendency to go off into hiding and lick our relational wounds. Sometimes we do that for decades. And oftentimes we just want God to tell us the answer to our questions. Just tell us the answer. You know, what's the address? God, where are you staying, Jesus? Just give me an address or something. I don't want to hang out with you. Just give me the address. And as far as me and you teaching, leading, and influencing others, nah. Just be for me what I need you to be. I mean, I can't even deal with my own mess, let alone the mess of others. Just answer my questions and leave me alone. Here's what I have learned, and I'm continuing to learn. I'm learning this, that God himself, drawing near to him and to God's people in the otherness power of his spirit, listen to me now, is the answer you seek. That is the answer you seek. The answer to life is not a statement, it's not a fact, it's not more of the world's resources and pleasures. If you really want to, as I hear it put by many millennials and Gen X and Gen Zers, if you really want to find your self, that's an identity problem. That's a who am I? Do you hear? I have to go find myself. The answer to that big question mark of identity is Jesus Christ. Quit asking for his address and do this instead. Come near and you will see. Jesus' otherness is what you seek. For you first and then with you toward other people. The law of the teacher is fullness. The law of education is otherness. Come near and you will see. And in seeing Jesus, you find yourself. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Uh, you go deep. Um, deeper than... Sometimes we want you to go. Um, Lord, help us to understand what I mean by this teaching thing, because it's certainly not um, getting up front of a bunch of people and speaking like I'm trying to do now. It's It's much more... Daily than that, it's much more uh, bold. <laughs> yeah, it's much more bold than that. Uh, it's filled with love, concern, mercy. Uh, to see what I'm trying to get at, I just see Jesus. And some of the examples we, we, we saw here today, we talked about here today. 
Um, Lord, only you can do that in your church to us as individuals and to us as a group with, with, with multi-dimensional spiritual gifts that, that when, when someone is hurting, the mercy person is there to empathize and sympathize. And if there's correction that's needed, the teacher and the prophet come alongside. And if there's resources, the giver shows up. And how your body and your spirit just, you, you work through your people as a group, but also individuals. And, and uh, you give us even the spiritual gifts we need as individuals, uh, even that prophet, um, if, if he's the one that's there, your spirit can promote and prompt mercy. <laughs> because it's your otherness that makes us give a hoot about other people um, taking our eyes off ourselves. Uh, help us to understand that the reason that sometimes we get in despair and misery is, is because we're turned inward and uh, trying to figure out our own despair and misery by looking inward just makes it worse. And so, Lord, uh, as you gave yourself away and gave yourself away uh, for us, um, May we see that and may we draw near to your spirit so that you can be that in and through us. That's what we were made for. In Jesus' name, amen.